So, it's very fitting to me that we're together on the first day of August, eight being the number of new beginnings throughout Scripture. Uh, We've been through a summer and a season like no other. I mean, I have. And today, there's something that I, as a spiritual father, want to push in on because it will both, two things, give context to what some of you have been walking through and me, and number two, to speak to what we need to be in preparation for. So two things. I gave an illustration last week that will guide kind of what the Holy Spirit wants to, to release today, and I'll summarize it real quick if you weren't here. Because last week I, I told this parable, I guess, story, of um, if, you were, if you had a paintbrush and a bunch of paint and you were in a pitch black room. Y'all remember this last week? If you were in a pitch black room and you were told you got to paint whatever you want to paint, and you're in a black room, you don't know what colors you got, you barely know where the canvas is, and you're painting this picture. And somebody, 20 years down the road, however long down the road, walks in the room and flips the lights on. The first thing that's going to happen is, is you're going to feel two things at the same time. Number one, I've never seen this room in full color before. So amazing. Number two, you're going to have to face the ugliness of what was painted in the dark. Okay? And so when that happens, the two simultaneous things that you feel is extreme happiness and extreme, not depression, but sadness at the poverty of what was done in the dark, right? And in that, in that place, you've got two choices. You can leave the lights on, face the canvas until you get to the point where you throw it away and paint what you're designed to paint in full color, or you can walk over and flip the lights on off and stay in the dark. Because in the dark, you'll never have to face the canvas. But in the dark, you'll never see the beauty of what the light reveals either. Right? So that's what I said last week. I can honestly say, for me, that the past season has been the toughest ministry season I've ever walked through. Not because of sin, not because of anything I've done, but because the Lord has flipped all the lights on for me. I don't know about you. So it's been the toughest, yet at the same time, it's been the greatest and most needed that I have ever walked through. From the moment the Lord announced prophetically, back in May, a mass exodus. From that moment, that defined just about every step I've taken over the past few months. For me. Some or all of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not just us. It's the church at large who is losing people at an astounding rate right now, at large. What I didn't know when the Lord released that, I assumed, I made a bunch of assumptions about that word a few months ago. You're about to go through a mass exodus. I knew that you, were, you was plural. And so um, what I didn't realize, though, is the Lord was giving us a blueprint for the church, not our church. We are included, but the church. And what the Lord has had grace for in one season, this is something he spoke to me in February. I don't remember if I ever said it, but I wrote it in my journal and I went back to it this week. That what the Lord had grace for in one season, particularly before COVID, what he had grace for in one season allowed certain things to remain in the bride of the church, hoping that it would change. Now, 
in love, the light has come to remove every trace of darkness. But what is amazing and overwhelmingly new and beautiful in the light is simultaneously depressing as it reveals the life, religion, and yes, God that we created in the dark. God is light, 1 John, is both the greatest and the hardest revelation because it reveals what is true, or as it reveals what is true, what is true within us gets seen in broad exposure. So God will not wave a magic wand and rid us of the world that we have created in the dark. What makes this even more difficult is that the world of our making in the dark is typically labeled as a God and Christianity. Therefore, the light of his pure and authentic love invites us into the identity and purpose that we were made in and made for. The way to that identity and purpose runs straight through, to quote C. Baxter Kruger, runs straight through the belly of the beast. The way into the light, this is what I'm going to talk about today, the way into the light does not go around the beast that we've created in the dark. It goes straight through the teeth of it. This is why Yahweh's love keeps him from waving the magic wand and making the stuff from our own creation disappear. The only way to truly be free is not avoidance, but confrontation. The way to be free, for example, from insecurities, because that's one of my big things I've walked through. The way to be free from insecurities is not to avoid anything that has the potential to bring them out, but to let the light reveal them in full color so that what once caused me or you to be insecure, we're now secure in. So what you and I have been walking through is not, this is really huge for a lot of us, what you and I have been walking through is not Yahweh being distant or you being in the wrong place or you being down or you being worried. The contrary. What you and I have been walking through is actually closer proximity, therefore greater light than we've ever been in. Right? This is actual spiritual warfare, if you will. If you want to know what spiritual warfare and you want to do it, this is it. It's that when Yahweh comes with a greater measure of light that exposes all the darkness within, He doesn't do so to show you how bad and unapproved or broken you are. He does so to set you free into a light that darkness cannot overcome. I'm going to try my best to explain what the Lord gave me this week. And I don't know if I'm going to do it justice, but I'm hoping the Holy Spirit fills in the gaps. In the in-between... So between when light exposes us and when we are free because of that exposure, that in-between is where the enemy has a heyday. This is where understanding sin is hamartia, ha, without, mars, um, uh, meros, meros is the Greek word, but hamartia means without form, okay? 
This is where understanding that sin means without form rather than just a bunch of actions is key, is crucial. Because as light starts exposing darkness for the purposes of your freedom into the light, the enemy will show up and get you to see what's exposed incorrectly. This is spiritual warfare. It's not, well, man, I've been really tempted and now I'm going to just fight the devil. No, 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 that's not what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is, is the light shows up to expose the darkness within, but when you see the darkness within in full color, the enemy shows up to say, see right there, see, you're not worthy. And you know what we do 100% of the time? You're right. Spiritual warfare, that, there it is. When Paul talks about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 5, uh, it's amazing to me because we see spiritual warfare as warfare. But every single thing Paul talks about, the belt of truth, the sword of the word, how many of those are actually good in warfare? If I walk into you know, World War III or II, with a, <laughs> not yet, not yet, hopefully never. But when I walk into World War II and I got myself a good Bible and I know the truth, guess what's probably going to happen? I'm probably going to die. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, so it, is, it is insanity for us to see spiritual warfare as us playing lightsabers with the devil. No, no, here's spiritual work. Paul talks about wrapping our minds with truth. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because when the lie comes in and says, see that darkness right there? That's why you're separated from God. We know the truth. I couldn't possibly be separated from God. Okay. So, so this has been all of our stories. All of our stories. We, just as for example, we don't trust the Lord. For the most part, including me, we don't trust the Lord. My trust for the Lord is the mustard seed trust. I mean, if I'm just being real with you, the Lord shows up. If the Lord shows up right now and says, I want you to do this, there's 90% of me that starts explaining why I maybe shouldn't do this or why I maybe heard wrong. And that's me. Okay. So, so we don't trust the Lord, just to be clear. We don't. But he's growing us in that. So when the light shows up and first exposes our lack of trust by, for example, allowing us to be in a season of complete trust, which could be silence, which could be things not making sense around us, etc. In those seasons, we're called to completely trust that all things work together for our good. So those seasons are great things because they're working out for our good. But he allows us to sit in those things because the light is exposing the fact that we don't trust. Okay? So when it exposes it, we should see our uneasiness in those places as a dark place being exposed by the care of our Papa to bring us into the light. But what happens there is the enemy starts to whisper, you're doing something wrong. The Lord doesn't care about you. Maybe you should get a new career to make you happy. Maybe the church isn't where God wants you to be. Maybe you should quit church altogether. Maybe you should be sad. Maybe you should be depressed. Maybe you should cut community off. Maybe you should quit tithing because you need a little backup money in case this doesn't work out, etc. Right? That's the, the enemy starts doing that. That's not the Lord, of course. It's the enemy. And every single time across my life, I can point to every single moment where I heard one of those whispers, and even if it's 30% of me said, you know what, you're probably right. 
And all of a sudden, that which came to make us whole actually destroys us because we have been tricked into thinking that hiding is better than facing the exposure that would free us once and for all. That's why the foundation, or excuse me, that is the foundation of all religion. That. That we don't want exposure to the light. So instead, we hide behind rules and regulations that make us feel better about staying in the dark. So today, I want to expose what has been highly unknown and disguised for centuries. That which we hide behind. I'm going to read this uh, from this book. Um, I'm going to read it, just a paragraph. Across all worlds. See, Baxter Kruger, he's become one of my favorites lately. But let me, let me just read this real quick, what he writes here. Uh, he writes, We are so inept, we don't know what is happening. Capitalizing on the outright strength of the Father's exposing forgiveness, evil whispers, I am not in our ears. And it seems the most obvious thing in the world. Of course, I'm not worthy, not lovable, not acceptable. The proof is everywhere. How could God even look at me? Ashamed and hopeless, outgunned and trapped, we know we are doomed. We dare not face what this means, rejection, abandonment, and the abyss. So the pain of it all is intolerable, and we run. With all of our might, we run. Why shouldn't we? What option do we really have? And off we go on a 30-year bender. We call it love. We call it marriage and friendship. We call it work and vision. And even a burden for the lost and helpless. We may even call it worship and obedience to the Lord. But it is our pain and our false God driving us to hide, driving us to find something somewhere that gives us a moment's relief. Let me read just one more, uh, two more chapters, or verses, paragraphs. Jesus does not come to us with a great theological treaty under his arm. He doesn't come with a brain drill and a funnel to pour accurate information into our heads. Listen to this. He simply and masterfully enters into our darkness, and his presence inevitably creates pain. His knowledge of the Father's love points out where and when and how we are not receiving the Father's love. Evil exploits the exposure and whispers, there, I'm not acceptable, and proves the mythological God in our heads. We are left holding the bag of our unacceptability while standing before an unforgiving God. As though someone has touched the rawest nerve in our being, we recoil, launching ourselves for a 30 or 40 or maybe even 80 year run. Last one. Stop and think about it. Why are you so driven to work? What are you trying to prove and to whom? Don't get me wrong. Work is good and we should be passionate about it. For we are made to participate in the creative blessing of Father, Son, and Spirit. But when work is driven by I am not acceptable and by our mythological deity who watches us like a hawk, 
or by lust for money to buy more toys to entertain us in our pain, the joy of work is utterly silenced. And there is all the difference in the world between working out of the Father's embrace and doing the exact same work out of insecurity and fear and pain. The one is free or is the free expression of the Father's love reaching out in the service of His children. The other is a self-salvation scheme, a long attempt to justify ourselves, a form of entertainment or a drug, even doomed to fail us and leave us more afflicted than ever, not to mention what they do to our relationships in the process. We are dying inside, so like a tick on a hound, we attach ourselves to others, hoping to get life from them that we do not have in ourselves. Here's a major statement. Major statement. You ready for this? This is probably why not a lot of people are here today. Major statement. You being in Adam has little to do with your actions and much to do with your hiding. One more time. You being in Adam has very little to do with your actions and very much to do with your hiding. The type of hiding I'm talking about is not you concealing something really bad. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about using something good in the proper context to avoid what you were made for, light. My career, for example, or your career. This is just an example. You could use relationships. You could use whatever you want. But our careers, is, it's an amazing thing once we've been finished in the light, and a deadly thing if by it we abort the fullness of what Yahweh is doing on the inside because it's uncomfortable. So why are we here? Like, why are you here today? You're here to be exposed, and I'm here to be exposed to the light. That John says in 1 John 1, there's no trace of darkness in. So with understanding comes responsibility. Y'all with me? With understanding comes responsibility. So today, today, I believe we're going to walk out of hiding. Let me go to Genesis 2 and uh, start at verse 25. Um, you guys tired this morning? I'm, I honestly am a little bit tired because we uh, have been just doing a lot outside. Because um, like I said, I feel like the... Um, the end of summer is the end of July. So we were just rocking and rolling yesterday, and now I'm ready to wear flannel. So anyway, which I probably will next week, as, as soon as the 100-degree weather falls off. But let me, let, me, uh, let me read Genesis 2, verses 25, and then I'm going to jump to uh, into 3. So uh, here we go. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Most of y'all probably don't have Genesis in the Passion Translation, but um, y'all can just follow along with me. Here we go. Verse 25. The man and his wife... God creates man, you know, they're together to leave their father and mother, the whole thing. The man and his wife felt no shame, unaware they were both naked. No shame, unaware that they were both naked. They were completely vulnerable and unashamed because they were unaware of their nakedness. In other words, awareness 
of their nakedness or vulnerability would bring a measure of shame. If they weren't aware that they were naked and because of that they were unashamed, we can then say the reverse is true, which is if they were made aware of their nakedness, they would bring shame or they would think in terms of shame. And right here is where the enemy shows up. Here we go. Genesis 3. Now the snake was the most cunning of all living beings that Yahweh had made. He deviously asked the woman, Did God really tell you you must not eat from any tree in the garden? But the woman interrupted, We may eat from any tree in the garden except the tree in the center of the garden. God told us, Do not eat its fruit or even touch it or you'll die. But the snake said to her, You won't die. See what I'm saying? Okay? God said, do not touch that. Don't even look at it. Don't even think about it. Because if you do, you'll die. You're not going to die. Who cares? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so you won't, you won't die. God knows. Here's, God knows the moment you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. Translation, God has withheld something from you. After this, when the woman saw the tree produce delicious fruit, delightful to look upon, and desirable to give one insight. See how the tree has changed now? It's beautiful. It's amazing. She took its fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he also ate it. Immediately, listen to what happens. Immediately their eyes were open, and what? they realized they were naked, vulnerable and ashamed. So what they do? They sewed fig leaves together for coverings. Then Adam and his wife heard the sound. I'm going to talk about this just for a minute. Heard the sound of Yahweh God passing through the garden in the breeze of the day. So they hid, hid among the trees, concealing themselves from the face of Yahweh God. And Yahweh God called Adam's name and asked, where are you? Now, I'm going to talk about this in a second. He's not saying, like, I've taught this before. Like, oh, man, where are you? Like, God didn't know where they were. He knew where they were, okay? That's not what he's saying. In the Hebrew, what God is saying is, you're supposed to be right here. Where are you? You know what I'm saying? Like, in other words, it's like, you know how you've gone, I love how he used this language, but you know how you've kind of gone off on a life bender, where you're just like rebelling and all that stuff, and somebody looks you, hopefully, in the face and says, who are you? I, like, I know who you are. I know your name, all that stuff, but that's, I'm saying this is who you're supposed to be. This isn't where you are. You know what I'm saying? This is what God is saying. He called Adam's name. Where are you? Adam answered, I heard your powerful presence moving in the garden, and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked, and so I hid. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? God said, did you eat from the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? And then they start blaming each other because um, that's what we do. So let me just break this down, okay? They were unaware that they were naked because we're going somewhere in a second. And them being unaware caused them to live without shame. So the enemy showed up, and, I, and here we go. I don't believe the enemy's goal was to get them to disobey. I believe his goal was to make them aware of their nakedness, thus slide into shame, and the way to make them aware of their nakedness was to get them to disobey. I, the enemy did not show up. Because here's the thing. Let me just read this. 
Peter and John both write that Jesus was crucified from the beginning. Both of them. It's in Revelation. It's in the writings of Peter. They both write that Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the earth. In other words, God had a plan to take care of the disobedience long before you and I ever took a breath or disobeyed. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we were chosen before the foundation of the world and before the fall. The fall would do nothing to change our place in Father, Son, and Spirit because the incarnation was already set in motion to redeem humanity. That's a huge statement right there, okay? So the freedom from our disobedience rests not on our shoulders, but on His. Freedom from our sins, from our actions, never rests on our shoulders. It 100% of the time rested on His, which is why we were chosen before we ever took a breath. Remember the song we just sang? I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I could do to let you down. I told Matt this morning, it's amazing how we'll sing songs in the church especially. We'll sing songs that, that are great and amazing and say one thing, but then we'll preach something completely different and think they're the same thing. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I could do to let you down. But if you don't do this and this and this and this, you're not going to make it. Huh? I, I heard, I won't say, I won't say, I heard a, a friend, friend of ours, older, older brother, um, preaching because uh, they popped up on my feed. I guess they did a, a Facebook ad and it popped, their service popped up on my feed. Anyway, in the service, uh, when I clicked, the first thing I heard was, um, he said, and they're like super traditional King James only the whole thing. He said, God has reconciled um, all men to himself through Jesus. And I was like, yeah, amen. And he said, for those who have repeated the prayer, <laughs> they repeated the sinner's prayer. And I was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what? Either he's reconciled everybody or he has not, and we've got to do all this and this and this and this to get there. Can't be both. So, all right, so that statement right there in the Western thinking makes people go, kill him. I mean, literally. Literally. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that jokingly. So Calvin, I told Matt, John Calvin, the leader of Calvinists, so back when he was alive, this is history, heretics we're not, like, kicked out of the church. And when I say heretics, I, I mean people who say, like, well, man, we don't really believe in that whole some are elected and some are not. That's what I'm talking about. So if somebody came into, John Calvin was a big deal, came to John Calvin and said, you know what? I don't know about that. They weren't kicked out. They were murdered. I mean, like, historically, they were murdered. I, I read a writing from John Calvin, a, a letter that he wrote to somebody else, and he was talking about somebody who went against his doctrine of election. And he said that the man wants to show up and he wants to debate me about this. But the writing, the letter that he wrote to his associate was, if this man ever shows his face in this town, he won't get out with his life. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you history. So This is the West. Our, think, our thinking is we're going to teach a fear-driven gospel so that we can control everything. So we can't teach freedom because if we teach freedom, there's no room for fear. Let me read you something real quick. Let me just help you all out a little bit while we're here this morning. Oh, brother, I don't know about that. Awesome. Here's what, um, here's what 1 John 4 says. You ready for this? <laughs> it says, love, so God is love. 
Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them by living in God. Love is brought, uh, has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus is now, so are we in this world. Amazing. Love, check this out. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love, who is, by the way, God, loves perfection, drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. <laughs> huh? We're, we're, we're trying to control everybody by religion that fears punishment. Do this or you burn. John's saying anything that talks like that, you run from. Because this love comes to drive all fears away of the punishment because of what this did. Okay, so where are we? Lord, help me. We were chosen before the fall. The fall would do nothing to change our place in Father, Son, Spirit. The freedom from our disobedience rests on Christ's shoulders. Freedom from our, listen to this, freedom from our delusion, though, rests on our shoulders to say yes to the light exposure of what we have been ashamed of. So freedom from all of our disobedience rests on Christ. Freedom from the delusion that we're living in rests on us because we created the delusion. So God restricted them from the tree of knowledge, tree of knowledge, because they were never designed to see their naked shame. Look, look at how the enemy exploits this in-between. God says, don't eat this or you will die. And if they had chopped, I've, I've always said this, Adam should have said, axe, and chopped the thing down. The moment that God said, don't eat from that tree, Adam should have said, all right, sounds good, and chopped the whole bad boy down. That's what he should have done. But they left it there. And in between, God giving them command to not eat of the knowledge and them being free had they not eaten the knowledge, in between the enemy shows up and says, now I wonder why God didn't want you to eat from that tree. Right? This is my, I mean, Lord, this is all of our stories. I mean, Eve, think about this. Why would God not want you to eat from that? You're not going to die. It's just a fruit. Ah, you know what it is? I think God's afraid. I think he's afraid if you eat that, you'll be like him. But what do I know? And now Eve starts going down this delusional trail that ends in the place of the only logical explanation for God telling me not to eat of this tree is because he is withholding something from me. Not just withholding something from me, withholding something good from me. I'll be like God. And like I've said for years, what were they? Like God. How many times, or let me, let me say this one. Right there, God, when he says, when the enemy says um, that, uh, that God has restricted them from the tree of the knowledge because they were never... To, let me go back, let me go back, let me go back. I'm getting way too ahead of myself, getting way too fast. God restricted them from the tree of knowledge because they were never designed to see their naked shame. And there the enemy exploits the in-between. And when he says this, he's convincing them 
in the place where God showed up to unveil all the darkness, not just in them, but in creation, the enemy shows up with a lie to make the darkness look like something that was appealing. And in verse 6, we see the difference. When, when God tells them not to eat of this tree, I guarantee you there was something in both Adam and Eve that said, we need to stay away from that thing. That thing must be nasty. You know, like, somehow, though, after the devil shows up, this is what they're saying now. The woman saw the tree produce delicious fruit, delightful to look upon, and desirable to give one insight. We, Lord, if this isn't a testament to 90% of our culture right now, is we will run from everything we were designed for into something good because it's desirable, it's what everybody else is doing, it looks like this is something I should be doing, and we'll sprint as fast as we can in a direction because in the delusion that Yahweh showed up to shine a light on so that we could walk out with no trace of darkness, in the delusion the enemy showed up and said, but what if? And we chased it. Convinced God had withheld something good from them via restriction, they allowed the enemy to so warp what Yahweh was actually doing that they take matters into their own hands. They pursue what they were never designed to pursue because they've allowed the enemy to warp God's goodness into God's disapproval or withholding. Big statement here as well. How many times has God withheld the grace for us to pursue otherwise good things because He's not finished with us that we have convinced ourselves to pursue anyway because they are delightful and desirable and then because we forced our way deeper into the delusion of a false God that withholds good things from us, we spend our days hiding behind narcissism and callings and religion and causes and wall building and destroying everybody else in the process. I mean, if this isn't the most accurate depiction of most people today, I can't even come up with anything else, okay? And myself included. God withholds something in love so that he can shine a light on me to finish me off in a good way. But when he does that, I'll drive myself even deeper into the delusion, thinking that he has withheld something from me because of the whispers, the father of lies, because of the whispers. And as I go deeper into the delusion, I realize, wait a minute, this isn't something I should have been in. But because I'm so deep into that delusion, I now start hiding behind different causes that look like what I think my life would have looked like had I let Yahweh shine the light on me. Pastors were never designed to be TED Talk people and superstars. Never. And I guarantee you, if you walked up to any of these pastors today and said, how do you enjoy being a superstar? If they told you the truth, they'd say they're miserable. And I know this because I've been there. Miserable. A million followers on Instagram, but threatening to take your life every single day. And some of them do it. Miserable. But somewhere along the way, one decision in the darkness led down a trail of let's get as many people as humanly possible to repeat this prayer. I don't care if we know their names. I don't care if they ever get baptized. I don't care if they ever get born, actually born again. I don't care about any of that. If we can get them to repeat a prayer, at least I could feel better about myself hiding in the delusion. 
This is where we, you know what I'm saying? This is where we are. So don't we see that the enemy's primary attack is not temptation to sin. It's the delusion that hiding is better for you than exposure to the light. The enemy's primary attack is not to get you to look at something on the computer you weren't designed to look for. Sure. But the reason he's tempting you to look at something on the computer you're not designed to look for is really because he wants you to hide. He could care less. Because listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What did Jesus take care of on the cross? This is really going to mess with people. You looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. So the enemy could give two rips whether you do something that's actually already been taken care of. It's not going to change anything. What he cares is, is if you head down that road and when you get there, you start to hide behind the trees. And see, we, we sit around and beat ourselves up for doing something that's been taken care of. What we should be aware of is the fact that because we have beat ourselves up, we've gone into hiding. And let me give this caveat. This is what Paul says. He teaches this gospel and he says, Romans 6, should we just keep sinning? I mean, should we, because of the cross, because of what I just said, should we just keep sinning until our heart's content? Why in the world would we do that? We're dead now. We've been re-identified in Christ. You know what I'm saying? So Paul's preaching this uh, unbelievable gospel. Paul's a Pharisee. So he went from teaching people, if you don't do this and 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 this, and this, and this, and this you won't be in Christ, to now you're in Christ no matter what you do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, whoo, whiplash. So he's looking at them and he's saying, but now that you're in Christ, should we just keep sinning? Should we not care about our life? Should we not care about what we do? Certainly not. Why in the world would we do that? We're in Christ. A ma- massive shift. Okay. So the first thing that happens when they realize what they were once unaware of, which is nakedness, vulnerability. Vulnerability to what? What, what were they vulnerable to? Their nakedness, their vulnerability. Why did they fear or why did they feel shame at their nakedness once they were made aware of it? Makes no sense, right? What, so what were they afraid of? Look at verse 8, and 8 through 10. This is what it says. Adam and his wife heard the sound or the voice of Yahweh God passing through the garden in the breeze of the day. Um, and I'm going to read this footnote right here. The implication here is that God had been doing this daily, wanting friendship and intimacy with his created people. So this was something that was not new. It wasn't like God was just like, you know what? I'm going to just take time out of my day. No, this was, this was life, okay? So who knows how much time has gone between when they were created and this account? We have no, I mean, it could be millions of years. We don't know. You know what I'm saying? So who knows how many days they had walked with God in the cool of the day. But this time, they hear God coming for their normal walk. And they hide behind the trees because they feared him coming for the walk. What, uh, what are you afraid of? Let me, let me help. God knew what they had done. Not a surprise. He knew what they had done. I can't, I can't prove what I'm about to say. But like I always say, y'all can't disprove it either. So... Could it be that Yahweh was showing up that particular day in the garden to shine a light on what had been done to eradicate it? 
well, brother, I don't know about that. I can't prove it. So I'm like, you know what I'm saying? But just think, what, what if we've gotten God all wrong? Like I've been talking about for months. What if he didn't show up saying, yes, they sin. Now I can beat the snot like I've always wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? What if he showed up and said, you know what? I know what you've done. But I'm going to shine such a light on you that you're going to look at your nakedness and feel proud. But he shows up. They're afraid. They hide. And then he says, where are you? In other words, I want you to be here so that you can be exposed to the presence. But you're not here, so what are you doing? And he says, I heard your powerful presence moving through the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, Father, Son, and Spirit come to walk with Adam and Eve and expose them to the very light they had always walked in. But this time they hid. This time they hid. When they buy into the delusion... Suddenly, the light becomes something to hide from out of fear of exposure. Check out what they hid behind. They hid behind the trees. Genesis 1.12 says this, that the trees, when they were created, God looked at them and saw that they were good. Okay? So they hid behind something that God called good for fear of what was truly good, exposure. Are y'all still, are y'all good? Okay, so this has gone totally unknown for so long because the first thing that you have to know is who you really are, who He really is, and that you've been included forever in Father, Son, and Spirit. You have to know that. So because you have to know that in order to move on to what we're talking about today, most people have never heard what we're talking about today. But now that we've heard it, we're moving on, and now we can see that people who believe they are separated until they repent are always going to live thinking the light is showing up to destroy them. People who believe that you are separated from God, which goes, I mean, against so much of the Bible, but believe you're separated from God until you repent with a prayer? Repentance isn't even a prayer. Metanoia is changing how you think. There's a lot of people who have repeated a prayer and never once changed how they think, and they've not repented. Repentance is you've been thinking and processing things one way, and now you're thinking and processing things as Yahweh does. That's what repentance is. It's not, I've done something wrong, I feel better now. Repentance is how I got to something wrong is my way of thinking, therefore I'm going to have my thinking transformed. So, we believe, or people who believe they're separated until they repeat this prayer and repent in that way, will 100% of the time believe the light is coming to show them how much they deserve the punishment they believe is ahead of them. So this is fuel for the delusion because it takes the exposed darkness and confirms what you really believe, which is you're not good enough, and that you are spiritually homeless. But once we make the leap to understanding that all were included in the incarnation, the second Adam, the second man, 
we can now see the light for what it truly is, not a confirmation of what we are not, but a confirmation of what we really are. If you fully grasp inclusion and reconciliation, Romans 5, you'll have, excuse me, you'll have the endurance to stay in the light until there's no trace of darkness found within you. Let me read Ephesians 5 and then I'm just about done. Surprise. Ephesians 5, and uh, Matt, where are you? Matt, you can go ahead and come up here, actually. And let me just tell you what Paul uh, writes about this. I should have marked this in my Bible, but now I can't find it. So Ephesians 5, Colossians, there we go. All right. Here's what Paul writes. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. He says, if I can find verse 8, Once your life was full of sin's darkness... But now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with Him. Your mission is to live as children flooded with His revelation light. And the supernatural fruits of His light will be seen in you. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So the way to goodness, righteousness, and truth is what? Living in the light. Living in the light Lord, how many songs have we sang? Like, I mean, there's a song by, the, I think it's the Newsboys. They play on Caleb all the time growing up. I want to be in the light as you were in the light. No, you don't understand what you're saying right now. If you, John says that his light is described as this. God is light. There's no trace of darkness. In other words, for you to live in the light means that the light is going to be an all-consuming fire until there's no trace of darkness in you either. Darkness of what? Your actions? No. Your actions are caused by something way darker. It's the shreds of Adam, the shreds of a broken down mindset that's still remaining within you that causes you to do the things that you have called sin. Those things are a result of sin. So you, your actions are not, your actions are a result of sin. It's a result of pieces within you broken. That's why Jesus never sinned. Why did Jesus never sin? Because there wasn't one shred of darkness in him. See, it's, it's all, that's like saying, how in the world did that tree produce an apple? Well, because somebody planted the seed of a tree that grew and produced apples. Nobody went and put apples on this tree. The tree produced it naturally. Why do people sin? Because an identity crisis is happening on the inside of them. And all we ever talk about is telling people behavior modifications so that they don't look like they're sinners. What we really should be having a conversation about is why there are so many people, even in the church, that don't have a clue who they are because we've hid the light from them. Because if the light ever came and exposed us, what it would expose is the fact that a lot of us live in fear of punishment that actually doesn't exist anymore. Paul says this, Then, living in goodness, righteousness, and truth, you will learn to choose what is beautiful to our Lord. And don't even associate with the servants of darkness because they have no fruit in them. Instead, reveal truth to them. I mean, Hello? Don't even associate with the service of darkness because they have no fruit in them. Instead, reveal truth to them. Those are, I mean, seriously, those around you, are we attacking those not in the light because they're in the darkness? 
or are we revealing the light to them because they're in the darkness? Don't even associate with them. Instead, reveal to them truth. Verse 12, the very things they do in secret are too vile and filthy to even mention. Whatever the revelation light exposes, though, it will also correct, and everything that reveals truth is light to the soul. That's why the Scripture says, Arise, you sleeper, rise up out of your coffin, and the anointed one will shine his light on you. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper. Um, I want to end with giving you a little bit of uh, uh, prophetic stuff that I've been seeing lately. Um, number one is that We're in the middle right now, if you can see this. Let me give you a quote. And I forget the guy's name. I would look it up, but it would take way too much time. Anyway, I saw this quote. And the quote was, every 500 years or so, the church has a rummage sale. And in this article that actually came from a book, what he was saying was, is if you look back over church history, every 500 years there is a major shift that sends the church into a new direction every 500 years. So 500 years after the New Testament, after the New Testament church um, is when the Nicene Creed happened, when Constantine came into power. That's when the church lost a lot of its inclusion language because the Roman government took over the church and the way they were going to control the Christians was to make the gospel something that is fear-driven. If you don't do this and don't believe this and don't agree with us, we will kill you. So we're going to force everybody into our religion. 500 years. At 1,000 years, the East and West split. That has been the most detrimental thing to us in the West ever in history, I believe. That the East split off preaching a gospel like we've been preaching for the past two months. The Bible was written in the East, by the way. And then the West split off, led by people like St. Augustine, who also believed in violence to those who didn't agree with them, believed in election, believed some were predestined for heaven, some were predestined for hell, believed that every single person on earth, whether or not they repeated a prayer, every one of them, God is so disdained toward them that he's ready to be drunk on their blood. I mean, so, this is, so he's the father, literally, if you Google him, he's the father of the Western church. We are a Western church. So that was 1000 AD. 1500 AD was when Martin Luther nailed the 99 theses to the door of Catholic church listing all these reasons why the Catholic Church had gone astray and led the Reformation movement. Martin Luther had a lot of weird stuff that he believed, but at least he had the guts to stand up against falsehood. So we had the Reformation. We are a result of the Reformation 500 years ago. We would not be here today preaching and teaching and worshiping like we are today had it not been for Martin Luther 500 years ago. But here we are, here we are, 500 years the year we started this church was the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. The year we started this church. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was October. Don't quote me on that. But it was, I believe, one month before we had our first service, almost to the day, was the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. So here we are, 500 years later. 
And if you don't see what's happening right now, you're not, you don't have your eyes open. The church, the Lord is taking his church and he is flipping it on its head right now. People are leaving in droves. People don't care anymore. And here's how it happened. Here's how it happened. We started the COVID thing. Everybody shut down. People started watching online. This is what the enemy does. Oh, you can just watch online. You know, which isn't a bad thing until it leads to what I'm about to say. Okay? Because there's a lot of people watching online today, and you guys have stuck with us through the whole thing. So that's not a bad thing. Online's great, or we wouldn't do it. But it's bad when it leads to this. Just watch online. A couple weeks later. Man, you're, you're tired. You can go back and watch it later. Month passes. You know what? Your life's not really that different. Who cares about watching the live stream anymore? Let's go to the lake. A few months later, you know what? You're not even a part of that church anymore. Why give anymore? You can keep that money. You can do a lot better giving it to whoever else. Buy another boat. Whatever. I mean, whatever. Here we go. And so we have a mass exodus that have left the church and we left it because we thought we were doing something good. But in thinking we were doing something good, the enemy stepped in and he had a heyday getting people to hide. Look around, I mean, not to be weird, but like look around the room. So here though, where we are, we can see man, this thing's really getting bad. Or we could see this is exactly what we knew was coming. That people have left religion. People have left the rock show. People have left the superstar show. People have left the programs. And now everybody is floating around in this abyss of what do we do now? And that is where Yahweh uses places like this and others to step in and say, I know what we got to do. And turn the lights on. And here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, is most people are going to go into hiding because of what the light exposes. But there's going to be a handful that when the light shows up, they're going to say, this is every single thing that I was made for and run straight into the light. And when that happens, I am telling you right now, we're going to see what no eye has seen. You know what we have? I've said this multiple times before. The reason why we haven't seen signs and wonders like we were designed to see signs and wonders has nothing to do with faith, has nothing to do with a lack of faith, and has nothing to do with teaching. The reason, some maybe, but the reason we're not seeing signs and wonders right now but is because if Yahweh poured out signs and wonders on a group of people that are still holding on to Adam, it would demolish us. We would take this thing and make it a big signs and wonders parade that you can show up and, and see all the signs and wonders happening. I want people to show up here because the love and light of Jesus is so apparent that everything in their world trembles at it. And then once they get in the light, their sicknesses flee too. But there's a massive shift. This is a revival that is happening right now. And it doesn't look like us exploding. It doesn't look like people getting healed. They will. We're going to see that like crazy. And we have seen that in part. But it's not looking like people running around the room. Here's what it's looking like. A group of people finally getting convinced that we're sons and daughters of God. And Romans 8 says that the creation is standing on tiptoe, not for us to be able to speak in Chinese like we've never learned before. That's amazing. 
But creation is standing on tiptoe waiting for you and I to be convinced we're actually sons and daughters of God. And it doesn't matter how many people have repeated a prayer, creation has not been freed yet, which means we haven't fully been convinced that we're sons and daughters yet because if we were, it would be free. So so what do we do? Here's what we do. A couple of things. We're, We're going into some unreal territory. There is some stuff that the Lord's been showing me that I haven't taught yet because I don't think we're ready for it. But there's some stuff that the Lord's been showing me that I sit in my office and literally just shake at the thought of it. Not because it's bad, but because I'm wondering who on earth I am to be able to receive some of this stuff and who on earth we are. But the Lord, is that's, he's finding the people who are sitting back and they're not hearing whispers and saying, how can I parlay this into big ministry success? He's giving it to people who are hearing the whispers and saying, this is my invitation to go one step deeper. On the way here this morning, I was listening to Jaira. And over the past year, it's been extreme, past season. This has been tough. It's just been a lot of transitions, a lot of different things. And, um, and so I'm on the way here. And I, I just heard the Lord whisper this. And I'm telling you, in an earlier season of my life, this wouldn't have made that big of a difference. Today, rock my world. I'm on the way here. And I just heard the Lord whisper, I never left you. And I almost had to stop the car on the interstate. But I heard him whisper. Because remember, the delusion says, when you're going through something, where in the world is the Lord? And I'm driving on the way here, and I just heard the Lord whisper, I have never left you. And we're getting to a place where we begin to honor that. Because there was a season where that didn't move me at all. I know that. Great, thanks. You know, I'm I'm serious. But we have been so exposed to the light that a whisper begins to reform everything that I know that I thought I knew. But, but it's going to take, the Lord, the Lord is undoing Western theology in us right now. Let me, let me say this, and then I'm done, because i got a lot of time, but I'm going to not keep you all that long. Um, there is, and you all hang with me for a second. So the way we know about God and the way we know about theology and the way we know about church is called systematic theology. So systematic theology is a system of theology. It's a way of thinking about everything about God. So in the West, we have many different systematic theologies, but system, excuse me, systematic theology, the system of theology, is how you and I know anything that we know about God. No matter what church we grew up in, no matter what teacher we grew up under, all of us here today know every single thing we know about God because of a particular systematic theology. Y'all with me? I know this is a, like a big term. So, so in other words, so that means there is a framework, and within that framework, we're going to explain every single thing that has to do with God. So if the framework is this, we were dark, we were sinners, we were messed up, we disobeyed, and we were separate from God, but because of the cross, Jesus came to give us an opportunity to get back. That's what everybody believes for the most part. So if that is the box, that means that every single thing we know about God and theology is going to be found within that system. 
So within that system comes things like the rapture. Within that system comes things like substitutionary atonement theory, which is basically that Jesus came to be beat to death and to be beaten by God and to be struck by lightnings by God so that we wouldn't have to be struck by lightnings because God really wanted to do it for us, but Jesus stepped in the middle. So you find all of that within the box. Here's what Yahweh's doing for us, is he's not coming in to reteach us all the theology within the system. He's coming to give us a new system. And this is going to require us to essentially unlearn every single thing we thought we knew so that Yahweh, not Josh, so that Yahweh can reteach us how it should be. This is what's been happening for me for two months now, is that I laid everything mentally on a mental table out that I thought I knew about God, and I said, Lord, I'm going to run this through the mental shredder, and I need you to reteach me all of it. And I'm telling you, when you do that, you see two things. God is a lot more loving than I ever dreamed. <laughs> I'll say amen to that. That's amazing. So God, I thought God was kind of loving and mostly hateful, mostly mean. And think about this. How many people want to spend eternity with a God they're afraid of that's going to punish them if they sin? I mean, just be real. Right? That's, like an, that's like having an abusive parent but then saying you want to spend forever in the presence of an abusive parent. I mean, I don't. Right? But when you realize that the cross had nothing to do with God desiring to abuse you, and Jesus just happened to take it on your behalf, the cross had everything to do with God so desiring you, he would go to whatever length it took to get you home. That's a father. That's a papa that I can run to for eternity. That's just one example that he's shifting in all of us. And then when we begin to take this message into the culture, instead of being so hyper-focused on getting people into our religion, we can actually do evangelistic work, which is, I know who you are, Yahweh knows who you are, and he chose you before the foundations of the earth. Let me tell you who you are. In that, there's no room for hate. There's no room for disagreement. Because even if you disagree, you still love them. <laughs> right? There's no room for denominations. Why would I denominate? Why would I divide from something that I'm completely in unity with because of love? It all, you know what I'm saying? It shifts everything. But it starts with us saying yes when God comes in with a sledgehammer and says, I need your box. And if I could speak prophetically right now, that is what's happening to every person in this room and every person watching this right now and every person listening to this later is Yahweh is showing up and he's not showing up with a pen and an eraser saying, I'm gonna fix a few things. He's showing up with a sledgehammer saying, I gotta demolish all of it. But on the other side of it, guess what we get to do? Live outside the, block, the box. I mean, we, we've spent so much time writing songs about our sins, and I'm, I'm glad my sins are taken care of, but every, we write songs about our sins being taken care of on a daily basis. What would happen if we transition to writing songs about what happens to the waves when they're set free from their bondage? We don't know. That's never been written because in the box, we weren't allowed to write that. We didn't believe the waves were going to be free anyway. We believed they were going to be blown up. 
why don't we haven't written songs about birds? We ha- we haven't written songs about cats. I mean, like, well, what? Fill in the blank. I don't know. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Holly's writing a little. Right, I'm telling you right now, but on Ruth and Naomi and the story of Ruth, she's just doing this writing. Like in in the box, there was never space for that to reimagine. You know what I'm saying? Now the Holy Spirit stepping into a group of people saying, let me reimagine some things in you to the point where you begin to release things out of imagination. Right? Uh, the Lord's able to do more than we could ask or imagine. But, but this is, he's coming in to demolish the box. And that's, let me tell y'all something. I know what that's going to cost me. Me leading a movement that blows the box up as right as it is is going to cost me every bit of influence I ever thought I would have. I know that. I, I am, as of right now, demolishing my influence. I'm taking a bulldozer to every single inch of my influence that I ever thought I would have. But I have a daughter in that room in there. And y'all have a daughter in that room in there. And there's other kids that aren't here today that we have kids in this room in here. And if we don't get this right now, they're going to have to come in and fix all the stuff that we let slide by because it was uncomfortable. And I am willing to lose my life so that they can find it. I promise you, I am. I'm ready to lose my life so they can find it. And there's people, I had a conversation with somebody in Indiana this week that the Lord is so undoing him. Tyler Walker. I think you're watching this right now. That the Lord is so undoing him. And they're, they're like, it's not because their church is exploding. It's because the Lord is showing him about the new way. About not the new way, the old way that's new to us. And he's blowing everything up. And in that, he's finding a peace that passes all understanding. And just hearing the excitement in his voice caused everything in me to rise up to say, This is worth it if it's for one or two. But think about like peace that passes all understanding. How many of you, just just for example, have ever had a peace that passes all understanding? I haven't. Have you? I mean, seriously. How many of us have ever had a peace that passes all understanding? None. But Jesus, I mean, that's like, (laughs) that's base, baseline. You'll have peace. You'll have so much peace you won't understand it. We've never experienced that. Maybe something in us thinks wrongly about the thing that was designed to bring us peace. You you see what I'm saying? He said we were going to do all that he did in greater things. We're not doing that. So it's either because, and this is where the enemy comes in, it's either because the Lord has withheld from us, which is where all the Calvinists believe in cessationism. Wrong. But it's either the Lord has withheld from us or we have missed that which would bring us into the encounters that would allow us to see greater things than even Jesus did. It's one of the two. And typically we'll side on the fact that, well, we know everything, so it's got to be God that's withheld. No, it's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you do not change the way that you think, you'll never, Jesus said this, unless you repent, unless you become like a child, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And Veda reimagines everything. You know what she told us the other day? Are they watching this in there? Okay. She told us the other day, um, I'll spell it, but uh, yesterday in the pool, she said, Dad, 
is S-A-N-T-A real? Do you know what I spelled? <laughs> and I was like, ah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, and of course I said yes, but I was just like, you know, for her, and the reason I say that is she's so pliable right now. Like, I, she has no preconceived idea of anything. She's just, show me. She, I, she'll say all the time, Daddy, uh, I know, you know, you also said Jesus is in my heart, but, you know what I'm saying? And literally one day at the, at the kitchen table, I was like, no. I said, no, I think the better way, it's like we're in his heart. And, of course, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you know, that makes more sense. But, like, and I was like, that does make more sense. You know what I'm saying? But it's just like these little things, like stuff that we have just believed and, like, lived our whole life. You know the song we used to sing, um, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if, I should, if, if I should die, I mean, if, as a five-year-old, I should have been like, wait, what? <laughs> But, but you know, I mean, it's, we get in this groove, we get in this lullaby effect that all the stuff of God is just like, you know, we've heard it, we got it, we whatever. But don't let this love thing be that. And, and, and I'm going to end this like this, and I want you all to close your eyes, bow your heads. And I want to ask you the question, like, what, what are you hiding behind? And I'm going to be vulnerable with you. For me, for me, the temptation, the temptation for me is to slide back into performance. That is, I have hid behind performance my whole life. But for some of you, it's a little different. I mean, let's just be real for a minute. For some of you, it's very different. What do you hide in mind? Is it a career? When the Lord shows up to expose the light, ironically, typically, the enemy will show up with an opportunity for you to leave and get out of the light. Are you hiding behind that opportunity because you don't want to be exposed to the light? I mean, this I'm like I, I don't know how legit I can get it right now. When the light shows up to expose you, ironically, Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's happening. When the light shows up, there's going to be countless opportunities for you to get out of the light because the enemy would rather you be out of the light and thriving in a cultural, worldly sense than for you to be in the light and have your life to the full that you were designed for. So, so like, what are, what are we hiding behind? And whatever it is, like I said earlier, with every level of understanding comes more responsibility. So today is an exposure to what we have been hiding behind, but the next step is to get out of hiding. I wanted to do this song today and I forgot, but there's a song by Stephanie Gretzinger that says, come out of hiding, you're safe with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. So Yahweh, I pray right now that you would bring us out of hiding. Our, our church is in a really unique season right now really unique season. We've never been in this before. Where we are on the 
on the cusp. We're walking into what I believe is going to guide the next 500 years. I believe that with everything in me. Because of that, though, the enemy prowls like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And he's not doing that by way of temptation. Maybe it is temptation, but it's the temptation that he's doing that with is the temptation to hide behind something that in the right season would be good. But before we have finished the job in the light is deadly. So Lord, I pray that you would just finish that in us. Reveal those places in us and let us live. Awake, O sleeper. Your light is dawn. Lord, I pray over the general feeling of apathy right now in America um, and across the world. I pray that you would awaken the church, but this time I believe in love. You're gonna awaken us to something that we have never been awakened to before. And community and shows and all that stuff like are not gonna do it fully for us anymore. But presence will. And in presence, we're gonna find community like we have never been able to duplicate or replicate or produce ever in our works-based religion. But the first step is light. So Lord, we just, this week, we, we step deeper into the light. We walk in fully aware of our nakedness, yet fully unashamed. There's no more hiding behind the trees. There's no more fig leaves. When you show up, you're not going to have to ask the question, where are we? Because we're going to be standing right where we were designed to be in full exposure, in full vulnerability so that we could be free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Caveat, who the sun sets free. We cannot set ourselves free into free indeed. Only the sun can. So Yahweh, we love you and honor you in this place. In your name, amen.